Hi, everybody. This is Tracy Malone. I am the founder of NarcissistAbuseSupport.com. I am a coach for victims of abuse, as well as a divorce coach through their narcissistic divorces. Um, today, I've got a very special guest, and I've invited Susan Guthrie here today um, to talk to us about when you need to change a lawyer midstream. So many of my clients have been to two, three, four lawyers, and I want to know what the risks are. What are they entitled to? What's the game when you're switching lawyers? And how do you do it correctly? And, and we're going to have this great conversation because it's not talked about very often. And yet so many of my clients, and I know high conflict clients, end up with more than one lawyer. So let's talk to Susan, get the facts, and understand what to expect, what you're entitled to, and how to navigate this new lawyer. So here we go. Let's welcome Susan. Welcome, Susan. Thank you so much for joining me again. Oh, Tracy, I'm so happy to be here with you again and to get a chance to get caught up and, and to share with your listeners. Yeah, well, you and I go way back and we've made a lot of videos together and um, you're such a wealth of information. Can you just start off before we start this um, interview? Can you tell people about you? Because I couldn't put it all in like it's really long there's so much about you and just tell us who you are well it's really long because i've been doing this for a long time um so i've been for 32 years i have been a family law attorney so that's my original you know profession family law attorney and litigator um transitioned to being a family law mediator um, and these days I'm actually more a speaker on all things divorce, um, a trainer in mediation, an online mediation expert. And, you know, I really try to get out as much as I can to educate and inform people about the divorce process, because as both of us know, um, often misinformation or misunderstandings lead people down a path that isn't a very good one for them or for their family. And if they had just had some knowledge ahead of time, uh, they might've chosen a different path. So I, I try to speak about it as much as possible. And you're doing an amazing job. Um, people should definitely check out your podcast and it is divorceandbeyondpod.com, right? Yes. The Divorce and Beyond podcast. Um, but that's the, the website, Divorce and Beyond Pod. Yeah, so definitely, if you guys are looking at mediation, if you are looking at divorce, she's got the best guests on there, and um, she's going <laughs> to, well, I was on it. You were my number two most listened to ever episode, you and Billetti. so yay. <laughs> awesome. All right, today we are going to talk about a thing that happens to, to my clients all the time. I have had people with five to eight lawyers through the mm -hmm. divorce process. And um, every case is different. Every reason that they changed is different. But can you overlay that with some of the reasons that people do change divorce mid-process? I mean, divorce attorneys mid-process. Sure. Uh, one of the first and probably most common reasons is because they picked the wrong lawyer in the first place. Um, and when I say that, it's not... Um, it's, it's not uncommon because I, I just had this conversation with someone I was, I was coaching this morning, you know, just as in any profession, there are a million different kinds of doctors. There's a million different kinds of guys who are going to lay the tile in your bathroom. Some are good. Some come at it by doing the floor first, some do the wall first, whatever that might be. 
There are a million different kinds of attorneys who handle family law cases. And you and your family may need one type of attorney. And you may, in the flurry of the beginning of the divorce, when often people aren't thinking that clearly and aren't that well-educated on what the process actually looks like, they will go out and hire their cousin Tim's divorce attorney because she was a bulldog or their next door neighbor's divorce attorney because he was really nice mm -hmm. or the one that they saw on the billboard downtown because they said they were going to fight for my rights, whatever that might be. Um, and, and often, you know, people are making that choice without making the decision based upon the type of practitioner that's going to work for them. And so they get halfway in and they're like, oh, this is, this is just not working. Right. Right. And, and that's, that's for sure. One of the biggest mistakes and, and we must over not overlook that, but when it comes to my clients and people who are going through a narcissistic divorce, yeah, they're always hunting, looking, looking, looking for the, the, the lawyer in the crowd that knows what a narcissist is. And that is often a mistake, whether they do know or they don't know, that isn't what you're looking for in the divorce. And yet having some knowledge of high conflict situations is important. So how does that like play into like, they didn't know about narcissists, so I'm going to fire them now. <laughs> yeah. So it, that, you're 100% right. And I will say, you know, it's hard to find an attorney who has the requisite knowledge to skillfully handle a high conflict and or case involving a person with narcissistic personality disorder or narcissistic tendencies. Um, the problem is first, most people, if they believe they're getting divorced from a narcissist, will run out and get the nastiest lawyer that they can find, right? They're looking for, this always makes me think of there's a law firm out there that their tagline is, when the ring comes off, the gloves come off, right? Hate that, by the way, but a lot they get a lot of business because there are a lot of people who are like, in that moment, I want someone who's going to fight for me. And who more wants someone who's going to defend them and protect them and fight for them than someone who's dealing with the truly horrific experience of trying to get divorced from a narcissist? Unfortunately, that's probably the worst attorney you could pick um, is someone who is just going to go in there and litigate and drag it into. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. Right. Conflict cycle. You, you're never going to out conflict a narcissist. They got, they got plenty to spare. So the other issue is, you know, they people will run out and ask an attorney, well, do you understand high conflict? Do you do you know how to deal with high conflict? And if the attorney says yes okay, I'll hire you. Not the best measure of whether someone truly understands narcissism, truly understands high conflict. Um, I recommend actually asking, you know, what experience they have and what training they have in dealing with that. You and I both know, and I mentioned earlier, Bill Eddy, you know, have they, have they gotten the training that, and I mean the professional in dealing with uh, dealing with a high conflict situation, but yes, I mean, it's very hard because attorneys and, and, and like anyone will say, sure, I, I fight in court all the time. I'm used to high conflict. Mm -hmm. 
there's a huge difference between that type of experience and dealing with the strategies in the management of a narcissistic divorce. Absolutely. And, and almost the expectations. I mean, I like, and I have a part in my book where I go, have they represented someone that was against a narcissist? What can you expect, right? Because if you have represented someone against a narcissist, they know they're going to pull this trick, this trick, this trick, you know, they have the, 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 the rule book, they know what's going to happen. But also have they, you know, actually represented someone that was a narcissist because they're the ones pulling the strings during the divorce and you also get an insight into what they're capable of by actually representing them it's a small little piece of the puzzle because that doesn't mean that they're going to know what you're talking about like again a lot of them are like oh sure of course and that's where a lot of my clients have issues but i also see that they have issues when it comes to um i would say communication you know, mm -hmm. their expectations of how quickly the lawyer will get back to them. I sent them an email four days ago, so I'm going to fire them and they haven't answered me. You know, they never answer me or, you know, whatever it is, setting those things out at the beginning. What is your policy for this? And are you the one going to be making copies or are your paralegal going to be making copies? Just know what their office policies are so that you don't get them to be your lawyer and find out that it's going to take a week before we get back to you. And then right. you patiently sit versus already off with their heads after three days because they haven't returned her call and, and you're you know i'm paying them well not today you're not because they didn't open your email yet so i see that as a, a big problem with so many clients it i mean it is and it's actually you know not the client's fault i will say um the client is coming in and interviewing an attorney for a job right? Many people come in with the, is the attorney going to take my case? That's not how this works. You're the one who's hiring a professional, but most people, you know, you just did a service to everybody who's listening, who's about to go out and interview attorneys. Some of the questions to ask mm -hmm. are, you know, I, I know myself well enough that I need, you know, immediate feedback from an attorney. So if I text you, um, uh, you know, are you going to get back to me quickly? What's your policy on that? Do you have a staff member who can at least I can run something by if it's I feel it's an emergency? Because you have to remember as well, when you are in the divorce litigation world, and when you are going through a divorce with a narcissist, everything kind of feels like an emergency. It really does. And, and, and it feels like it, right? You are being attacked your amygdala is fired up, you are drenched with all those hormones. But for your attorney, it's just one more thing. Yeah, I've got to make a phone call to the other attorney, or there's nothing they can do about it. it, it it's not something that really falls within their purview. Um, and so yes, you have to in the initial interview, ask about those parameters, set expectations, you, the client, set expectations for your attorney. And if your attorney's not going to, you know, able to meet those, mm -hmm. there's another attorney out there. Or if you're bound and determined to have that attorney because you really think they, they ring all the other bells, then talk to that attorney about what you can put in place around those communications. If I put SOS in the, you know, Ray in the, you know, subject line, will you get back to me within, a, you know, the fastest possible? If I don't put that in there, I'm willing to wait. Right. 
and and I think you you said a, a, a valuable point, which is sometimes there's nothing they can do about it. Like again, your ex just did something terrible and you're in panic mode and the kids aren't home yet and oh my god the lawyer is not going to be the one to sit there and mediate that for you at that moment so they might read it and and again go well nothing i can do about that that was yesterday and, and you know whatever it must be solved but even setting up a communication that even though you might not be able to do something just reply we'll handle this later like get back to me so the client is not sitting there on eggshells waiting for another thing because again as you said divorcing a narcissist is hurry up and wait and there's so much anxiety there's so many things happening all at once that you know you don't need your lawyer not getting back to you because whatever just happened was such a catastrophe for you if you knew right. that they were, you know, nothing we can do about that. We'll talk about it another time would be a really good answer instead of nothing. So communicate that that's what you expect and right. guidelines because you are their boss. Yeah, you are their boss. Always remember that. You may not want them to take certain action after they explain to you the cost of that action, um, but you're still going to make that decision. And you just said something that really struck me and I want to uh, make a point because it kind of goes to both of the things we've been talking about. Um, selecting an attorney, how to know your attorney has experience of dealing with a high conflict divorce, and then this communication issue. One of the things when I was handling high conflict and, and you know, truly high conflict divorce cases is I, if I was representing the party who was not the personality disordered person, mm -hmm. I insisted that they have a coach, that they have a coach who, who was skilled in this particular area, high conflict divorce, dealing with a narcissist, because much of the communication that an attorney gets is much more appropriate for the coach because the coach can help. And, and, and so to me, a skilled high conflict divorce attorney has skilled high conflict divorce coaches that they recommend to their clients. And that would be something for someone to be looking for. Nice. That's a really good point. And again, it's it's the emotional part and the legal part and always separating them because, again, the lawyer is not going to be able to, you know, help you and whatever the situation is, but having a divorce to co coach that can talk you through it and go, okay, it sounds bad, but it's, you're going to be okay. And this is what will happen when the lawyer gets back to us. This is what to expect. And they can like breathe instead of sit there all night waiting for that lawyer email that didn't come. Exactly. It, it's really a critical part of it. And to, to help the client to understand just what something, you know, what can be done about certain things. I mean, you, I don't need to tell you that certain narcissistic behaviors, you cannot do anything about. You can only learn to either manage them by how you respond to them or manage yourself but you're not going to change the narcissist and I'm not going to file a motion that's going to change the narcissist. And I'm not going to send a letter to the narcissist's attorney that's going to change the narcissist. And so a coach is also just an imperative part of that team. If someone truly wants to successfully get through a, a divorce in this situation, I, I truly think the indispensable person is the coach, the attorney's kind of the gunslinger who goes to court and manages that side of things right and deals with the other attorney i mean yeah yeah but much. not the management of the behaviors no or or the understanding of them 
you know, if, correct. If they're going to do this, then, then, you know, we should use that for this or this, right. done. you know, just having someone that knows that is going to make the whole thing a lot smoother and emotionally keep them in such better health because people who do not have coaches, everything is just, and then like, you just need a grain of salt and the whole thing explodes. So um, having someone that's gonna regulate you, tell you to calm down and here's what we do and you know get you through that particular disaster because there's another one coming tomorrow. So we can just- Or maybe in 10 minutes. Exactly. You know, exactly. Yeah. And that's, you know, that it's, it's critical to understand the, you know, I always say this to people, the only important thing about understanding that you're divorcing a narcissist or that the person you're getting divorced from has narcissistic behaviors and tendencies, it's not to know they're a narcissist. It's not so that you can call them one and all that. It is so that you understand that they have certain behaviors they're going to do over and over again. They're actually a gift to you very predictable because they do the same things over and over again. And once you know it, and if you have someone to guide you, you'll actually know what to do about it. So it's your gift of control, believe it or not, is understanding who you're getting divorced from. Absolutely. And, and, and the rules are different. And so totally. knowing what to expect and, and not reacting is going to be the key for sure. So. Yeah. All right. So let's go back to... Yes let's change lawyers in the midstream. So what are people entitled to? Are they entitled to um, records? Um, is there a turnover process? I had a, a client last week who's on her third lawyer and the first lawyer talked to the second lawyer and she paid them both a thousand dollars to just turn over. Is that normal? Yes. Let me just, let me be blunt on that one. Yes, you, when you hire an attorney, you pay for their time or you pay for their staff's time. And that should be very clearly set out. Um, I will say what you're entitled to. So that will vary by state. Each state's um, ethical codes have different rules about what a, an attorney must turn over and when that must be turned over to a client. The diff the main difference, and, I and I'll get granular here, is whether the attorney has been paid in full up to that point in time. There, there, there's a key factor. Some states will allow the attorney to hold on to that file until they get paid. Because the reality is, is once the file is gone from their office, they very often do not get paid. So some states will allow that. Other states are like, excuse me, other states are like, no way. Client asks for their file. The file must be turned over within a certain reasonable period of time. And I'll explain that. Other states allow an attorney to put a lien on the file, essentially, which means if they're owed money, they get paid out of any eventual settlement before the client gets money. So it's all different depending on your state. Mm -hmm. It also is what does the file mean, right? What's, what, are, what is a client actually entitled to? The client is entitled to all of the pleadings that were filed, mm -hmm. all of the you know, expert reports, all of the paperwork that's been received from the other side. What you're not entitled to is probably your attorney work product, our notes of sessions, our strategies, um, certain aspects that just you know, are our own personal you know, outlines of working. Are you entitled to the originals? It depends. 
Sometimes it's the copy. And then now you have to pay for either a digital copy or the hard copy, but someone's going to go and run in, in my old days, when I was practicing, I remember having a poor paralegal stand at the copy machine, ka-chung, 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 as a file was going through. Then you, I think you asked about the actual pass off to the other attorney. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So different ways, again, with that, some client, some attorneys will just turn the file mm -hmm. as it is, whatever it is we've talked about and give it to them to take to whomever they choose to give it to. Okay. Um, so if it's their next attorney, if they want to hold it at home, they want to throw it in the fire that it's that it belongs to the client, not to the new attorney. Um, so some attorneys are very, very particular that I will only release it to the client who I used to represent. Um, other attorneys as a professional courtesy will take it over to the other attorney, have the other attorney come over to the office, um, have it messengered, send it these days via a secure online portal, not an email, thank you very much, um, in the world of, of hacking that we live in. Uh, so there's a variety of different ways, but if, you, if there is a meeting, a formal meeting of the two attorneys, mm -hmm. to which there should be, frankly, to bring attorney two up to date, it's worth it because attorney two trying to figure it out without a briefing from attorney one, it's gonna take you them longer and they're gonna be charging you. Yes, you'll end up paying both attorneys likely for their time. For their turnover, that makes sense. Um, what you said in there, which I like grabbed my pen and I was like, oh wait, this is a good one. I have had clients because of the narcissistic divorce process being so long and drawn out that they have hopped because they owe the money. So when you said that, I was like, yep, you know, this one I owe a $50,000 bill to, but eventually I'll get it when the house sells and the whole thing settles, but I don't have the 50,000 and they want a certain amount, but I can start this lawyer for 10,000 and start with that. And then they hop for that financial reason. So I didn't think about that until you just said that. Um, yeah. Because then again, um, the lawyer can withhold that. And, and hold the records. And that makes very a lot often. And, and I mean, I'm, I know attorneys, we are not the most sympathetic of people. Most people are not like, oh, poor attorney. Um, but consider that particular case you just talked about. I owe that attorney $50,000. That attorney has already put that work in, has already done it. Mm -hmm. And when that client walks, that attorney who has to pay the other attorneys that work for them, the other staff, their rent, whatever it might be going on, is likely, you know, without some sort of security, not going to see that money. And so it becomes a, a business situation for an attorney in those circumstances. And it's actually a rather well-known thing that clients will attorney hop when funds are tight. There are other options. And if a client will sit down with their attorney and be upfront about this, something like I'll get a lien, I'll get paid out of eventual settlement. Um, you know, there's a lot of different ways it can be managed. That's good to know. Trying to do it under the table is probably the least popular way. You're also not likely to get a lot of, of that professional courtesy from attorney one to attorney two when you leave attorney one hanging in the lurch. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, as you said, if you think about attorney one teaching attorney two, like, hey, we went down this rabbit hole. It didn't make any sense. It, 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 this is the, like, 
now attorney two, if you don't have that transition conversation, then attorney two is going to start with the whole file, bring up the $20,000 just to read it before you even start. So that couple thousand, if it is that much to turn over is so much worth it because you're not wasting attorneys to time. Yeah, it's a hundred percent true. And, and it's, you know, there's a lot of reasons for changing attorneys in midstream. And I will tell you in high conflict divorces, in cases involving narcissists, mm -hmm. it's really, really common for there to be multiple attorneys on both sides. Mm -hmm. um, it is very difficult. I have been the attorney coming in three down the road. It is really hard to pick up the ball and run with it and not occasionally run in the wrong direction or in a direction that's already been run. If somebody is not guiding you right. and, and giving you the benefit of the wisdom of the practitioners who came before you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if at all possible, I would encourage people to maintain a good relationship with each attorney along the way. There's a lot of reasons to change when an attorney, when I got fired, so to speak by a client, I don't take that personally. I think everyone's entitled to the attorney that works for them. And I don't mean works like does work for them. I mean, the one who suits their needs best. And if it wasn't me and you know, I did my best, but you know what? I bet you there's somebody out there who is going to be good for you. I'll even help you find that person. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not a necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes it is. Sometimes there's a huge disconnect between an attorney and client. Yeah. And, and that, that is often the case. Um, because I think in my case, in my clients' cases is they are just looking for anyone to hear them. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter if it's the lawyer, the coach, their psychiatrist, it doesn't matter. They just want to be heard. And yep. again, you're asking someone who is here to separate a legal contract and figure out your money and figure out your children to sit here and have this emotional empathy for what's going on and the terrible things that are happening. So in comes the, the coach or someone that's going to be able to support you. And, you know, as, as I see, and as a, you know, coach of victims of abuse that are not going through a divorce or victims going through a divorce, um, you know, the, the thing that we see and the differences between someone that has a coach is they can so much more make it through without all of as much drama, like because they can emotionally regulate themselves and not go down that rabbit hole of, you know, no support, no help. So yeah, big well, one. it's exactly why if I, you know, when I was doing high conflict divorce, I, I insisted that the client find, have a coach. I know coaches, you know, that I know can do a good job in that area because honestly, you know, I've now done and dealt with enough uh, high conflict and personality disordered cases. And by the way, let me just point out, it's not always the other party who is personality disordered. Yeah. I've dealt with my share of attorneys who are personality disordered as well. You know, every strata of society has people with these issues, but, you know, I, I know enough about it to be able to converse with my client and try to be helpful, but the conversations and the being heard mm -hmm. that's a coach yeah that's that's exactly what i wanted people to hear in this message because they mistaken it and it's a very expensive oh. learning curve where you're not going to get any help and you're going to be paying them 500 dollars an hour yeah like well that sounds too bad but okay thanks bye you know they're like whoa you know so having i used to tell clients as a human being mm -hmm. i my heart hurts for you 
Mm -hmm. It truly does. I want you to know that as your attorney, there is nothing I can do about that. Right. I'm not going to change that person. I can't file a pleading to make them a better parent. I can't, you know, I, I, I feel for you, but I can't, that's not a legal issue. Right. Right. And you know, that is it's, I'll be honest with you. It's frustrating for the attorneys as well. We want to help our clients. Mm -hmm. The hardest clients in the world to help are the ones who are in this situation. Absolutely. Because it's not a part of our skill set. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it, again, we're asking the dentist to take out your, you know, finger. Could you remember yeah. Mr. Dentist? No, different surgery, different, different doctor, different lawyers. And, and again, in this process, it takes a team. It really does. And, and the more help you can get. And, and those, there's so many people out there that can't afford a coach because they're barely able to afford I, lawyer. Yep. But there are support groups, there's Facebook groups, there's places that people can get others to kind of help soothe them if they are in that elevated stage. Your book, if I can just say, I, I truly, I've told you, I mean, one of the reasons why I am a huge supporter of your book is you've taken years of coaching and support and it's all in there. So no matter what you people out there are dealing with in that particular moment and need some support and understanding, it's in the pages of that incredibly comprehensive book. So I, I want to say that I agree with you 100%. Coaching is expensive. Attorneys are expensive. This process is expensive. But get the level of help that you can afford because trying to do it without support is, is the worst possible case scenario. Um, you have so much more control over this crazy process than you think, but it all stems from education, knowledge, and not engaging with their behaviors, but you have to understand them to know not to engage. And you have to know which battles to fight because yes. they can throw all these false allegations and all this stuff at you in rapid fire. And mm -hmm. you know, it's like, it's like, it's like a video. You can't keep up with it. it, it no too many. And so what matters is what you want to know. Like, okay, they, they just lied that you did this. Well, that won't matter, but this will. And, and no right. difference helps alleviate that 10 that didn't matter so that you're not overwhelmed by all of the disasters that are happening rapid fire. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's truly the key to surviving this high conflict divorce or situation with some sanity on the other side is understanding, I, I like how you phrase it, where to engage and where to let it go. And unfortunately, people who are caught up in the, the hamster wheel of it, they just engage left and right. They engage with everything. Any ball that comes, they're trying to hit it. And a lot of them, you can just let them go because they don't mean anything. Mm -hmm. And, but you do need to know which ones you have to dive after. Exactly. And that is a coach. Emotionally, they mean something, but they don't in the court. And that's the difference. Yeah. It's yep. like your emotional brain over here, legal stuff over here, and then get the help in both arenas. Well, and that's a good point about the attorney situation, right? A lot of clients get frustrated with their attorneys, thinking their attorney's not fighting for them or not doing a good job for them because they're not dealing with some of those things that happen. They're not dealing with them because they're not in the legal arena. They're not something that is dealt with there. And it's unfortunate because you know you need your attorney in those situations and you need a good relationship, yet this misunderstanding maybe of 
what an attorney can and cannot do and where they can be effective and not can draw drive a wedge between that's another reason by the way where why people have more than one attorney often is they they misunderstand the role of what their attorney can actually even do under these circumstances yeah absolutely and and, th and that's again it's if you if there's nothing i send you an email mr lawyer and there's nothing you can do about it or it's not going to be applicable just shoot me an email back and go we got a code word not important whatever it is boom and then it's not that anticipation and anxiety over, but I didn't hear, but I didn't hear. Well, you're not going to hear, but that one, if you're the kind of person that needs to hear it, you need to set this up with your lawyer. Hey, if it's not important, let me know. So I'm not on eggshells for the next week. Right. It's a very good point because an attorney in their mind might just be like, well, they, we've already talked about this twice uh, when it happened the two other times they'll remember, but you know, always remember when you're going through this type of divorce, you're always in that heightened state of like, uh, <laughs> fight or flight. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have two more questions to do yes. with the end of this. So are there vulnerabilities in people changing lawyers? Because a lot of people get very upset and scared. Um, I'm going to look like I've changed lawyers three times. I'm a loser. Is this judge going to judge me differently? Are there vulnerabilities? Yes. Um, and a client should be very aware of them before they make the decision. Okay. Uh, the first vulnerability is not so much that the attorney or that the judge is going to say this person's a loser. They've had three attorneys. Judge probably doesn't even care. Um, but in the legal and court system, people who run through a lot of attorneys tend to be seen through the lens of being high conflict, whether they're the person who's high conflict or their spouse is the person who's high conflict. You can just immediately, I'll just tell you, and again, I'm, I'm sort, of, sort of pulling the curtain back here and some of my colleagues may not like this, but if, if I see that someone's had three or four attorneys in a case, I'm thinking, is it them or is it, is it this person? Is it the other side or is it, is this person the one who's high conflict? You know, what's going on with that? That's one. So that's a perception situation. The other is actually a significant factor that should be considered. It depends on where you are in your case. Okay. If you are close to any type of hearing or even worse, a trial, and you want to switch counsel at that late date, you could very well be disadvantaging your case because your new attorney, we just talked about it, has to get up to speed and has to understand everything that's gone on, including nuance, before they can walk into that courtroom and do a good job for you. And, you know, maybe this is where that perception of the judge is thinking, well, that person's had three attorneys. When your new attorney goes into court and says, hey, your honor, I'm new. I'm going to ask that you continue this hearing or trial so I have a little time. If they're your first new attorney, the judge is going to be much more inclined to give them time. If they're your fourth new attorney, the judge is going to be like, yeah. And then when I give you this break, that person's going to have a new attorney and you won't even be the one doing it. So no. We've given it enough continuances. So those are two of the really significant factors that I see at play. The other factor that I would just point out is there is going to be a financial, right? There's We've talked about that. And there is going to be a new learning curve with your new attorney. Mm -hmm. Just the two of you getting into your flow. 
Um, that may be a good thing though. If, if you've gotten into a bad flow with your other attorney, it may be great that you're getting into a new um, understanding of how things work with your new attorney. But time is not always at your, you know, under your control. That is such an important lesson. I am so glad we asked that question because like, what are the risks? That's such an important thing. We're going to make sure everybody knows this. Now we kind of covered this already, but this is the last question. Um, when people end the divorce process and there's files, are they entitled to them? Because some people are like, I want all my files. And I think we've already kind of said that you're probably not entitled to all the lawyer notes and strategies and things like that, but are they entitled to things and should they expect that they have to pay for that? Because again, it's now the lawyer's time to pull this stuff together and get it to you. Yes. So there's, and again, I hate to be the lawyer in the room, but it depends on where you are. Each state has different file retention rules, but Generally, I will say, yes, if, if it's your file or you want, you know, things out of your file, you're entitled to those, whether it be copies or whether it be the originals, you should be able to get them at any time. Um, it, it may, if they have to be copied, there may be a copy fee involved because somebody, anytime anyone touches your file in a law firm, you're going to get charged. But at the end of your case, different attorneys will have different practices and in, in, in protocols in place. Many states, and, and I frankly just think it's good practice to take all original documents that happen to be in my client's file. So back in the old days, we used to get like actual tax returns and actual bank statements. I would have those all packaged up and immediately return to the client. I don't want those things in my office. I didn't want them in my files. I didn't want them to get lost. They are documents that belong to my client. Mm -hmm. um, if we had copies of those things, we would either scan them and shred the copies or ethically destroy them. Um, and we would inquire of the client what they wanted to do with the rest of it. Most of them would say, I don't want the file. Mm -hmm. um, everything these days is available online. Some people do want their file. And again, that's a matter of then copying what's in the file. The attorney needs to keep a copy. The client may want one. And then just everybody should understand we don't, we're not obligated to hold. If you didn't pick up your file, we're not obligated to hold on to it for the rest of our lives and your lives. There, every state has a certain number of years after which a file can be destroyed that varies. Mm -hmm. um, so you should know that I, in fact, in my retainer agreement used to have in Connecticut where I practiced, it was seven years. We had to hang on to things. So it said, I am required to hang on to your file for seven years. If you want it at any time, let me know. At the end of seven years, understand that I will ethically have, you know, we would have them burned um, and, and re, you know, taken care of. And, and just so that people would know. Um, other states require us to send a notice to the client before we do that. It depends. Right. Well, I'm going to give everyone a little kibble of, of secrecy here, but Susan was my divorce attorney in my first divorce, not my narcissist divorce. But um, when I was divorcing the narcissist, we had to get the original because they didn't believe that I had the original pre post prenup and you sent people into your basement to go and find them and we found them and it was like nine years later but had I not had that um and again the copies I had were completely originals and signed and all that stuff but they wanted your copy for some reason and so because they thought I forged it um right. so um you know having 
that at your dispense was like, you saved my life, right? Um, so that was really- Thank goodness I had it. And, and you know, I, I will say with that particular issue, it's a, it's a um, prenups tend to be given out in multiple copies that are all originals. Mm -hmm. But yes, I think I'm sure in your case, the allegation, as I recall, was made that you had doctored it, the yeah. version you had. And when my version as your attorney, officer of the court doesn't lie, was exactly the same as yours. I was I was verifying your credibility as well as you know the court then adopted that that provision. So I was so glad I had it. I still remember getting on the phone with that judge. So I remember you were in the courtroom. You're on the speaker talking to the whole thing. <laughs> so I totally remember. These that. days I'd be on the Zoom screen, but yeah on a big screen in the in the courtrooms because they didn't have those then so no. this has been such an incredible conversation and so important for our listeners so thank you so much for joining us and um everybody go follow susan go listen to her podcasts you are going to get so much information if you're going through this divorce process she's your girl and get my book too yay <laughs> absolutely get the book listen to her podcast episode on divorce and beyond Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Susan. Oh, thank you for having me, Tracy. Wasn't that excellent? I'm so excited to have Susan here every single time. And not just because she was my first divorced attorney, but because she's so darn smart and so willing to give us that insider lawyer information that we really needed to find out what the process is when you have to start with another lawyer. So this is Tracy Malone. Again, someone told me last week, I didn't know you coach people. <laughs> and I was like, I have a whole YouTube channel, really? So I thought I'd keep trying to remind people to know that I am a divorce coach, that I am a narcissistic abuse divorce coach, and that I can help you through this process. And again, we highly recommend divorcing your narcissist. You can't make this shit up. It is going to give you everything from understanding what to expect and how to protect yourself. I have a section in here called the gray areas of a divorce decree. And these are the areas that the narcissist tends to exploit. So let's get this book in your hands if you're going through a divorce with a narcissist. And um, I hope to see you soon. Thank you so much.